Once upon a time, someone had a very simple idea. Let's review sermons on Matthew chapter 14. Let's just randomly choose a sermon and start reviewing it. It seemed simple. It seemed well, like a great idea because it would give us an idea how other people interpret Matthew 14. What hermeneutical method do they use on Matthew 14? It was a great idea. It was a simple idea. But ladies and gentlemen, it has turned into something that no one could have imagined no one could have planned for, but right now we have reached that very important moment. We have reached the dramatic conclusion of our first sermon review of Matthew chapter 14. Welcome, everyone, to the Theology Central Podcast for this Wednesday, December the 28th, 2022, at 7.43 p.m. Central Time. I'm coming to you live, obviously, from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And, well, we have made it, ladies and gentlemen. We have made it to the dramatic conclusion. This is it. This is the, the series finale. This is it. This is what you've been waiting for. The conclusion of our sermon review, I, I promise you, it started off like such a simple idea. I, I still think it was a great idea because Matthew 14 contains that historical narrative of Jesus walking on the water in the midst of the storm and the disciples being scared. And Peter's like, is that you, Jesus? If it is, tell me to come to you. And Peter hops out of the boat and he walks on the water. Then all of a sudden he sees the storm and he starts sinking. He says, save me. And Jesus saves him. And Jesus gets Peter and him in the boat. And then the disciples worship Jesus. You know the story. It's epic. It's dramatic. It's a historical narrative. But we also know that preachers for, it seems, 2,000 years have been taking that story. And yes, it's about Jesus, but really it becomes about us and it becomes about the storms become the storms of life. And, and, and then Peter walking on the water is us walking through the storms and, and just, it all becomes about us. It becomes an allegory. It becomes a metaphor. And so I thought, well, let's see how many sermons take it, approach it from that direction. And what we'll do is just choose a random sermon 
and we'll start reviewing. I mean, it couldn't be that hard, right? You you type in Matthew 14, the very first sermon that pops up, you just randomly grab it, you verify in the description, okay, yes, the text for this sermon is Matthew 14. They're also going to refer to uh, Mark chapter 6. Makes perfect sense. Let's do it. Let's review it. Now, and of course, if you're new, just remember, I don't review them prior to. I like to review them in real time so it doesn't, doesn't come across as rehearsed or it's like a performance. It's real. It's like me saying, hey, guys, let's listen to this sermon on Matthew 14 together, and let's listen for how they're interpreting the passage and what hermeneutical method are they utilizing to derive these conclusions, and do we agree or disagree? Very simple, nothing nothing like, ooh, we're going to tear this apart, we're going to rip it apart. No, more just like, okay, well, hey, here's your opportunity, convince me that your interpretation of Matthew 14 is correct. Go, and, well, yeah, go, I'm losing my voice, go, and all of a sudden, what happened was, it, I, I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't even know how to describe what has happened. What has happened has been absolutely crazy. Um, I'm getting the, the, the sermon ready to go. I think that's good. We'll just stop it right there. I think that's, that's good. We're going to jump in the middle of it. That's okay. I realized I didn't have it queued up. So I got it queued up while I was talking, but what has happened? How do we even describe what has happened? We've listened to 45 minutes, 45 minutes of a sermon Still, no Matthew 14. Did I say Matthew 12? If I said Matthew 12, I apologize. Matthew 14, in fact, I can give you the exact uh, uh, scriptures. Matthew 14, verse 22 to 33. That's what we wanted to, to, to be looked at. And um, how do we describe what has happened? How do we describe what has happened? This sermon that's supposed to be about Matthew 14 has basically laid out a theology about how Christians can overcome sin, how they can overcome those sins that enslave them, how Christians can be enslaved by sin, but how we can overcome it. And basically, I've got to try, I'm going to try to summarize. This is the cliff notes. This is what we start with. You've been set free from sin, so you're no longer in bondage to it. However, you can become enslaved to it. How do you become enslaved to it? You volunteer to be enslaved to it. However, once you volunteer to be enslaved to it, you can't unvolunteer. However, you can reach a point where you can just stop the sin. And the reason you can just stop the sin is because according to 1 Corinthians, you used to be all of these things, but now you're no longer those things because you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. So you, it's not that you can't be the, I mean, you, you're not those things, but you can be those things, but you can stop those things. So you can stop whenever you want. However, you really can't stop when you want because you need to go through a counseling program and then you need a mentor. But wait, 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 wait. You could still struggle. You could still be a slave. I mean, it's real enslavement. I mean, you're free, but you're not free. You're volunteer, but you don't really volunteer. And well, you, 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 but you can overcome it because you see, you've got power. I mean, well, you don't really have the power, but the power is available. Now, the reason you're still having all of these problems and still the reason you're still struggling with sin is because, well, you're missing three things. Now, just note, it's not, you're not struggling with sin because you're depraved. It's not because you have a sinful nature. It's because you're missing three things. And the three things, the three things, according to this sermon, that we're missing is number one, 
we're, uh, we uh, are missing or we're lacking power from God. So we have power, but we're lacking the power that can help us overcome. I don't know what power we originally had. We have some kind of power, I guess, but then we kind of find out you've got to get the power, all right? So you lack power from God, you lack fulfillment in God, and you like the, you lack, lack, not like, you lack the fear. In other words, you are missing out on the power from God. You're, you're missing out being uh, fulfilled in God, and you're missing out in fearing God. And so this sermon turned out to tell us how to get the power. Now, this, this is where it gets confusing. All right, so you're enslaved. Now, you, 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 don't, you volunteer to be enslaved, but you can't get out of it. You, you, but you can because you're no longer that, but somehow you're still in it. But you've got, the only way to get out of it is to get power. Then they tell us that this power really equates to God's grace. The only thing that's going to change you, the only thing that's going to free you is God's grace. However, you have to do things to get God's grace. God's grace basically is equivalent to power. If you want the power, you've got to do some things. Right? So you're missing three things. You're lacking uh, the um, the power of God, the power from God, you're lacking a fulfillment in God, and you're lacking fear of God. Those are things that are lacking in your life. They're just, they're, 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 they're missing. And if you've got to get these three things and you've got to have all three, right? But when it comes to the power of God, you've got to do some things to get it. Now, this is where it's weird. So the thing that will change you is grace. But the only way to get this grace, this power, is you have to do things. So logically, it would seem to imply that power, I guess kind of the only way to really describe this, power is locked away. It's locked away somewhere. And you've got to do something in your own strength in order to get the power. Because it wouldn't make any sense that you have the power, but then you have to do things to get more power because they haven't really quantified that. It seems to be that there's this power from God that will help you basically stop sinning. But you have to go get it. And I guess you have to do it in your power. So you use your power to get the power so that you can stop sinning. You think I'm making all of this up. I'm not. This is how crazy it's been. Now, guess what you have to do in your own strength to get the power? You've got to do, number one, you've got to pray. And you've got to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And so you're obtaining this power. You obtaining this grace is dependent on the quality and the quantity of your prayer life. More power, more prayer better prayer, all right? Second, you've got to study your Bible. Now, this is what you have to do. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to memorize your Bible. You've got to uh, understand your Bible, and you have to obey your Bible. Now, if you do these things, you get the power, which is weird, because this seems to indicate that I do these things to get the power, but if I can, in my own strength, read my Bible, if I can memorize it, if I can understand it, and if I can obey it, then why do I need the power to help me overcome the sin? Because if I can obey it, when I just obey the scripture that says that's a sin, I don't know, but this is what I'm supposed to do to get the grace. God will give you grace to overcome the sin, but you got to work to get the grace. So that means the grace really is a payment for you doing the work. I don't know. It gets even more confusing. So we've gone through all of that. And, and you think I'm making that up, but I am not literally it's been crazy. So here's what we've not been given. We still don't have Matthew 14. We still don't have Mark 6. But we've reached the third thing we need to do to get power. All right, we got to pray. We got to do all these, we got to do all of these steps with the Bible 
then maybe we'll get the grace that will give us the power so that we can overcome sin that we're already free from and that we volunteered for in the first place, but we can't unvolunteer for, but we shouldn't be doing because we're no longer that. But even though we're no longer that, we can still do that, but we can stop any time, but we really can't stop until we get the power. But you can't get the power until you use your own strength to pray more and do all of these things with your Bible, including obeying it. And then if you do all of that, then you get the power, but wait, there's more. There's something else we need. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's where we are in the sermon. Now, I don't have it queued up perfectly, but we're, we're pretty close to it. Um, we, we stopped at the 45-minute mark, and we're 44-48. So we'll back it up, and the goal here is the dramatic conclusion, all right? That was a long-winded review, but I want you to see how convoluted and crazy it's been. And this, listen, this is not picking on any specific person or any specific church. What this is doing, this is how convoluted and crazy it gets when you listen to the evangelical world talk about, you can stop sinning, but you can't stop sinning perfectly. You have power. Well, you don't have complete power. I mean, you're free, but you're not free enough to stop sinning completely. So you're free, but you're not free. You have power, but not complete power. You can, but you can't. You should, but you shouldn't. And it's just, this is just a perfect example of that. The problem is we weren't reviewing this for all of that. We were reviewing it because I wanted to see how they were going to use Matthew, if I said Matthew 12, Matthew 14 to somehow tell me how I get the power of God. That's what I thought was going to be fascinating about it because that was going to be some interesting hermeneutics to derive at that. But here we are, the dramatic conclusion of this sermon review. Here we go. I, found, I was amazed how often I thought I had a great devotions and then like, today I will... And I just, I just like, okay, I need to go back to <laughs> and, and think through, well, how am I going to put this into practice? Um, come up with a specific plan, how you're going to do it that day. Um, uh, one thing you'll notice when I give the godliness training exercises each week, there will always be a doing exercise. Don't skip over that one. All right, so uh, I told you there's three primary ways that the Holy Spirit exerts influence. He exerts influence through prayer. He He exerts his influence based off what we do. So the the holy the the way they describe this is the Holy Spirit sitting there going, "Come on, come on! I want to influence you so that you can stop sinning." But you've got to do this. You got to pray more. You got to read. You got to memorize. You got to understand, and you have to obey. Now, if you'll do all of that, I'll give you my influence. So I I look by that point, I don't know why I need the Holy Spirit, because supposedly I'm doing all of this on my own in order to get the influence. It's so just I convoluted. But now here comes the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I am really concerned where this is going. Exerts his influence through scripture. One more. He exerts his influence through the gifts of the Spirit. The reason they call the gifts of the Spirit are called spiritual gifts is because they come from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? That's why they call them gifts of the Spirit. They are one of the main ways that the Holy Spirit dispenses grace. Okay, so, whoa, all right. So the main way the Holy Spirit dispenses grace 
is through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Man, it's just crazy. None of this is dealt with imputed righteousness at all. This is just like, forget the imputed righteousness. This is all that, this is all law, 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 which I'm supposed to be teaching law and gospel right now, but that's a whole long story. And nothing has gone right tonight. But that, that's tight. let's not get distracted or diverted from that. So that's just an interesting phrase, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the main way, I think his exact words were, main way that he dispenses grace. I'm going to go back and play that again. Why they call them gifts of the Spirit. They are one of the main ways that the Holy Spirit dispenses grace. The main way, or one of the main ways he dispenses grace. So the gifts of the Spirit is a means of grace according to this teaching. Now remember, you're never going to have any success against sin unless you get grace. You've got to have grace. Grace is the only thing that's going to give you enough power. Now hear that. The only way you're going to overcome sin is you have to get grace. But this entire theology is you work to get it, which is insane. How can you tell me I have to do these things in order to get it? You've got to get it. Isn't grace given, not earned? If it's earned, it's not grace. It's a payment. If someone does something for me and then I pay them, I, I get them something, I send them money, that's not me being gracious. Gracious is like, hey, uh, you know me, I know you. Okay, hey, I just want you to know I just sent you $100. What for? It doesn't matter. Just sent you $100. That's grace. Grace is not, hey, hey, you do these four things for me and I'll send you $100. See how gracious I am? That's not grace. That's, that's a wage. He, this is insane. You have to have grace to do it. And all of these are the steps we have to do in order to get it. And just think of all, you got to pray, 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 pray. And you got to increase the amount, increase the amount. And then you better be reading your Bible every single day. And you better be memorizing scripture. If you don't memorize scripture, this is not going to work. You better understand it. You got to understand. And guess what? You better obey it. So your obedience to scripture is one of the steps towards getting grace. And now, now the fruits of the spirit. Now he's missing the things we're supposed to do. Is this going to be, I, I don't know what he's going to, or not fruits of the spirit, I'm sorry, gifts of the spirit. Let's see what he's going to do here. And, and the way to get grace is through, um, one major way to get grace is through the, the gifts of the spirit. And in, in Peter, remember in, at the end of first Peter, he said that we're stewards of grace through our gifts, we, we, we become stewards of God's grace. We're dispensing grace. Everyone, everyone through their spiritual gifts is... Now, this is weird. So do the gifts give us grace or are the gifts a result of grace? Like, do I get the gift and that's how I get grace or is it because of grace that I receive the gifts? He's almost making it, you get the gifts and it's through the gifts that you get the grace. I, I'm... I'm, I'm this is, I am so trying to follow the theology of this. Dispensing grace. If you look around this room, all these people sitting here, just a bunch of grace dispensers. That's what, that's what these people are, grace dispensers. And that's what church is. It's a whole bunch of grace dispensers getting together. And you need all that grace. You cannot get all of the grace that you need alone with your Bible in a prayer closet. You get a, some essential grace that you really have to have. You got to have that kind of grace. 
please know. See, you can't get all the grace you need. This is crazy. He's literally telling you, you get essential grace by you being in your prayer closet with your Bible. In other words, I get the grace by what I'm doing, by what I'm doing, by what I'm doing, by what I'm doing. This is, this is literally like a complete, I don't know what this is. Like, when I, when I said this is going to be a dramatic conclusion, I didn't know we we're going to dramatically basically destroy the entire theology of grace in one sermon. I, I didn't know. This is literally like there's a treasury of grace and I get some base off what I do. What is that? What is that? that sounds familiar. There's this grace out there and I can get it if I do something. Where, where does that sound Oh, the Roman Catholic Church is what this sounds like. You're not going to get every kind of grace. See, grace is kind of like nutrition. you got to have a variety of it. Uh, with nutrition, you can't just exist on protein, right? Grace is like nutrition. And you can't survive with only one kind of grace. You've got to get. Please note, you don't receive it. You go and get it. You've got to get all the kinds of grace you need or you won't be able to make it. This is. You need other stuff. You need vitamins. You need fats. You need some carbohydrates. You need some sugars. You need, some, you need all, these different, uh, all these different forms of nutrition. There's just lots and lots of different things. You've got to have enough variety. If, you go, if you're missing something, if your body's missing something, then you, know, you don't get any vitamin C. Uh, you end up with scurvy or whatever. I mean, you get, you get, you get these problems where you've you got to have enough variety. Grace is the same way. You've got to have the grace that flows through somebody who has the gift of encouragement. You gotta have the grace that flows through this other guy who has uh, the gift of helps. Okay, so what I gotta do? So okay, so I I I think I see where this is going. He he's just taking a different approach. I gotta pray. I gotta get my Bible, but I got to be in community so that I can be around people, so that I can get the grace of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Oh, this guy's got the gift of encouragement. I've got to be around him. Boom, I get grace because now I got, so I've got to make my sure that I'm around the right people so that I can get the right grace or I'll end up with scurvy. Okay. You got to have the grace that flows through this guy who has the gift of teaching. You got to have the grace that flows through through her. She's got the gift of exhortation. You got to have the gift of someone else that has the gift of giving. You got to have all these, all these forms of grace coming at you from all these directions. You need it all. You need it all. And so without fellowship, if you withdraw from the church, you're going to find that you're going to be malnourished in certain forms of grace, even if you are in the Word all day long. All right, so now praying all day and reading the Word all day won't do it. You got to be in church. (laughs) So the way you get grace is going to church. So the church is a dispenser of grace. Are we listening to a Roman Catholic church? Are we, are, is this Roman Catholic? The church is the dispenser of grace? Now, instead of giving me the sacraments, the people are the sacraments. 
right? Instead of having the sacraments, the people now are the sacraments. Okay, okay, I need you. Okay, come on, come on, come on. Give me encouragement. Give me exhortation. I get grace, grace, grace. So I need these people. And if I if I remove myself from the church, boom, 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 I can't make it. Well, that sounds very Roman Catholic. And praying all day long, you don't have fellowship, you're going to be malnourished in certain aspects of grace that you desperately need. Um, so. So, so praying all day and reading your Bible all day is not sufficient. you got to have church. And with church, so with, Bible, with prayer, Bible reading, and church, you now will have the grace, you now got the grace to overcome all sin. Now, I don't know if that's enough grace to stop sinning permanently. I'm assuming that that grace is not even sufficient for that, that even though we're supposedly already set free from it, I don't know. Here we go. Maybe we're going to get to Matthew 14. So if you want power in your life, you got to come to church and not just come to church, but be engaged enough in church to where you are receiving grace from people's spiritual... All right, if you want grace, you have to come to church. But, but, but wait, 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 wait. You can't just come to church. You've got to be engaged in church. You got to show up to all the programs. You got to show up to all the activities because if you don't, you don't get the grace. So just walking through the door won't do it. You got to show up. You got to sign up. You got to participate. You got to show up and you got to do everything they tell you. And then you can get the grace. Isn't that crazy that grace is now up yeah, I, I, but once again, it's based off your actions. There's the grace. Go get it. There's the grace. Go do it. There's the grace. It's grace is what you earn. Gifts and dispensing grace from your own spiritual gift. And that's important too, because grace flows from heaven to that person through you, through the ministry of your gift. So you got to be serving in ministry. You got to be serving, carrying out the one another's. Um, to receive this grace. Okay. Oh, wait, you've got to be serving others to get this grace. I mean, this is, there's a list of things you've got to do to get this grace. So let's make sure we have this down. You got to pray basically all the time. You got to be reading your Bible every single day. You got to be memorizing scripture. You got to be understanding scripture. You've got to be obeying scripture. Okay. Then you have to go to church, not just go to church. You've got to participate. And not only that, you've got to be serving others and helping others with your gift. If you want this grace. Isn't that insane? If you want this grace, you've got to do something. That's not grace. (laughs) I've never heard a a church literally to change the entire meaning of grace to something you earn by what you do. All right. So those are the primary ways that the Holy Spirit exerts his influence. Scripture, prayer, fellowship. No big surprise there. Um, And so if you want to overcome... Sin, you've got to have those three things, and they will put power, spiritual power, into your life to fight this battle. That'll enable you. Okay, so the power will help you fight it. It doesn't seem like, even after you do all of that, it doesn't seem the power may be sufficient to give you complete victory. It will just help you in the fight. So I don't even know how much this power actually does for you. ...to walk by the Spirit. Now let's get back to walking, because I, I said a minute ago that it's, it's a metaphor, 
And we've got to interpret the metaphor to know what it looks like. What, what does it mean? Because there's a purpose for metaphors. Metaphors make, are supposed to make things easier to understand. So let's think it through. Uh, why does Scripture use the figure of speech of walking? What is, what is walking? How would you define walking? Isn't walking when you... Would you agree this with this? Walking is when you take a series of steps to get... From where you are to somewhere else, to wherever you're going. Okay, it's a series of steps. It's a sequence, and that's what life is. Life is a sequence of steps that gets you from where you are right now to somewhere else, to wherever it is you're going to be in the future. So every second that ticks off the clock every day is a step that you're taking in some direction. Every thought that goes through your mind, every word out of your mouth, every action you do is a step that's carrying you in some direction. So you're always walking. Every human being is constantly walking. Every waking hour of the day, every human being is spiritually walking somewhere. They're, they're, They're taking steps in some direction. And what we're called to do here is walk by the Spirit. As much as we possibly can, all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our actions are to be done with an awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit with us and an alertness to how he's guiding, what he wants us to do. If you do that, he will guide you down a path that leads, guess where? To victory and freedom. Okay, so now so now we got to add to all of this. So I got to be we pray we need the Bible. We have to read it, memorize it, understand it, obey it. Then we've got to go to church. We've got to participate in church. And then we've got to serve others. And then if we can figure out the Holy Spirit's leading, if I can figure out what he's supposedly saying, once again, now this is almost a violation of sola scriptura in my mind, clearly, because now God is speaking, guiding outside of scripture. I, I, I'm assuming that's what he's going with. And if I can do that, then I can get to the free. So I don't have, he started off by saying we're free. Now I've got to do all of this to earn my freedom. So am I free or am I not free? I I thought I had power, but now I've learned I've got to do all these things to get power. I need grace, but I got to do all of this to earn grace. From sin. As long as we stay on that path, temptations won't have very much power at all. Um, If you stray a few feet off the path, then temptation will have a little bit stronger pull. If you stray 100 yards off the path, then temptation will have a really strong pull. And if you get a quarter mile off the path, then power of temptation will be absolutely overwhelming. And you're- All right, so here's the issue. The temptation's out there, not inside of me. This is, this is very Pelagian. All right, so it's, it's not because of internal depravity. The, the temptation's out there. And the issue is if I do all of these things, do, 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 obey, 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 law, 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 then the law will keep me on the path. And then when the temptation shows up, it won't be, it won't matter. It will be kind of weak. It won't really affect me. But if I deviate, if I'm not doing all of these things and I'm not doing them to a certain level, then that met, that equals a measurement away from the path. 10 feet, one mile, three miles, four miles. The further out I'm from the path because I'm not doing and obeying, 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 
a bang. Now the temptation, boom, now the temptation has power. The, the power of the temptation has nothing to do with the depravity in me. The power of the temptation has everything to do with me not meeting all of these religious rules and regulations. And if I can do the rules, then I don't get tempted. But if I'm not doing the rules, it's because I, it, it, then I'm going to be tempted. So I don't know where de- depravity doesn't even exist in this entire scenario. I fall every time. Okay. Satan generally doesn't start by hitting you with a big temptation while you're on the path. He knows it'll probably not work. Usually what Satan does instead is he just tries to get you to take a few steps off the path. All right, so now we have an omnipresent Satan who's walking around to every Christian going, oh, that Christian's on the path. All right, all right, everyone, listen up, listen up, listen up. Uh, Big temptations aren't going to work because they're just going to bounce off because now they have that force field and the temptation is just going to go boom, boom. So what we got to do is we got to get them to come out of the force field. Get them. So So I guess Satan is watching every single Christian everywhere at the same time, knowing if they need a full, full attack or if they are under force field and we got to get them out of the force field. This is, so basically you're now creating an omnipresent Satan and an omniscient Satan. Because Satan knows if you're on the path or not on the path. He knows what now. So I, I, I don't even. And again, he's not even mentioned our depravity. Our depravity, I guess, doesn't even exist. And then a few more. And just, just move you a few degrees off. And, and he works in very, very subtle ways to get, you, to get you far enough away from the power of the Holy Spirit to where you'll be susceptible. And then. Please note, the power of the Holy Spirit is only powerful if I'm obeying all the rules. See, the Holy Spirit's there and the Holy Spirit's like, I want to give you, don't walk away. Don't, don't, I can't give you any more power. I'm losing my power. Like what the Holy Spirit can't keep you on the path. You've got to keep yourself. So this is insane. So the minute you get off the path, you lose the power. So the Holy Spirit can't, the Holy Spirit's power doesn't keep you on the path. You can deviate from the path at any time. And then the Holy Spirit loses its power. The Holy Spirit's power is, is like, it's only in a certain area. It's like in this 10 foot area, the power of the Holy Spirit is present. You deviate outside of the power zone. You lose the power. This is a bizarre understanding of the world of Christianity. This is so like, I'm literally like trying to figure this out. Maybe for the rest of you, you've experienced this kind of Christianity. I am baffled and perplexed and confused. I'm like a, a cow looking at a new gate. I'm just like, what in the world is that? What, what is, who put that there? What is that? I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. So the Holy Spirit, so after you've done all of these things, you finally get the power. Now, if you deviate in your obedience and, and doing all of these things, you lose the power. But not only that, Satan comes along and says, hey, hey, come over here. Come over here, right over here. Two steps this way. And you take two steps. Power reduction. So the Holy Spirit's power, you you have to keep yourself in the power. The the Holy Spirit doesn't keep you. So who really has the power? You or the Holy Spirit? He hits you with a big temptation. Because he's got to get you weak first. That's why scripture has so much to say. If you study scripture about how to fight sin, how to have victory over sin, any sin, uh, that's, that's why scripture has so much to say about 
alertness. That just comes up again and again, doesn't it? Be alert. Be on your guard. Devil's a roaring lion. Watch out. Look out. Be be alert. Um, We need to be alert, spiritually alert, awake to reality. What's going on? We need to be alert to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Man, we there now. This is another step. We have to be alert. At this point, your list. If you're keeping track of everything you're supposed to be doing in order to get victory over sin, at this point, you're just probably going, "What in the world? How? How? I, I'm going to you, you. You. By the time you're done with this, you're like, I've got to do all of that just to supposedly earn grace. And then even then, once I get the grace, which equals power. The minute I deviate in any way, shape, or form, Satan's going to jump on me, and then it's over. I'm going to fail. He literally said that. I know we we broke it up. He literally says, you will fail every single time. So the power of God is just something you have to constantly be earning, and he's not helping you out. I don't even know why they would say he's helping you out. Because you got to do everything to get it, and then you've got to do everything to keep it, and any deviation, you lose it. To be alert to what he's guiding us to do, what he's guiding us to think. We need to be alert to his will moment by moment. We need to be alert to what the enemy's up to. Matthew 26 41, Jesus said to his disciples, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Spiritual, the, spirit, uh, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, so you get better. You've got to watch. You've got to be alert. Otherwise, you're going to fall to temptation. So all day long, we need to just be asking the question, what does the Holy Spirit want me to be doing right now? What is the Holy Spirit? Okay, so now we've got to add another. This is another step. The steps just keep building. So now I've got to be walking around going, what does the Holy Spirit want me to do right now? What does the Holy Spirit want me to do right now? What does the Holy Spirit want me to do right now? I can tell you what the Holy Spirit wants you to do, what Scripture says. But okay, but I guess you've got to now figure this out apart from the Scripture. So now because now the God's going to be talking to you outside of the Scripture. Wow, this, this is a mixture of Roman Catholicism and charismatic theology. Spirit want me to be doing right now. That's a lot better question to ask yourself than the question, is this okay, what I'm doing? Is this sin, or is it okay if I do this, or am I crossing the line into sin? It's better to ask, is this what the Holy Spirit wants? Because um, if, if all you do is, I mean, it's, instead of asking, have I, have I crossed the line and violated some command in Scripture yet? <laughs> instead of asking that, just say, am I stepping in that direction? Or am I on the path that the Spirit wants me on? I can tell you, there are many, many, many times in my life where I'll be doing or thinking something that I really wouldn't normally think of as sin. But when I ask myself the question, is this what the Holy Spirit wants right now? It's crystal clear the answer is no. No. There have been times, lots of times, when I've asked myself the question, If I ask myself the question, would it be a sin for me to turn on the TV right now? My answer would be, no, it's a sin to turn on the TV. But when I ask it the other way, and I say, do I really think that the Holy Spirit wants me to turn on the TV right now? So, So now the Holy Spirit tells you when to turn on the TV and not turn on the TV. And someone just said, trust me, it's a depressing way to live, constantly trying to figure out, to figure that out. 
what the Holy Spirit wants me to do now. I can't even imagine. I've never lived under that craziness. I, I don't even know what that would, I would be like, what? And look, I have a hard enough time trying to figure out what the Bible means by what it says. Now I'm gotta, I gotta put the Bible down and go, okay, Holy Spirit, do you want me to drink this water right now? Holy Spirit, do you want me to have supper after I'm done with this program? Holy Spirit, when I go downstairs, do I listen to mute? Holy Spirit, do I mean like, can I take a shower tonight? Like what, what in the world is that? And in the Holy Spirit, I guess it's just talking to you literally apart from scripture. This is just another thing in this, this list of things we're supposed to do is just, it's growing and growing in every segment of this sermon that we review. Many times I've asked that question and it's just, it's, it's absolutely no question. No, no. I know for sure that's not what the Spirit wants right now. Sometimes it's okay, but not right now. Not at this moment. It's late at night. I'm all alone. I'm in a context where I'm susceptible to temptation. There's no way the Holy Spirit would want me to turn it on right now. I ask it that way, and and it just becomes clear in my mind very often. That's not always crystal clear, but very often it becomes clear uh, that, no, no, this is not what the Spirit wants. So I wonder if the, if I asked the Holy Spirit if I should ever listen to any more of this man's teaching, and, and the Holy Spirit says no. <laughs> All right. It says, it sounds laughable, but it really does get crazy and makes you feel crazy. Add everything else on top of that. This is way depressing and overwhelming. Yeah, I, I well, yeah, this is beyond depressing. I mean, this, I can't imagine that this all, like, I'm still trying to figure out how I ended up here. Like, this is one of those situations, like, wait, what happened? I just wanted a sermon on Matthew 14. That's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. That's, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. I, I, I didn't, I, I don't know what this is. He wouldn't want me to do that. He wouldn't want me to think about this. I mean, how hard is it? You're sitting there worrying and fretting about something you have no control over. Does the Holy Spirit want me to be thinking about this right now? Uh, no. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, like, so... Are you speaking for the Holy Spirit? Like, okay, I know he doesn't want that. Or is the Holy Spirit really telling you that? Like, it sounds like in one way he's asking the question, but he's answering the question himself. So is it the Holy Spirit talking to you or is it not talking to you? And why do I need to ask the Holy Spirit, do you want me to be filled with worry and anxiety when the Bible clearly seems to say that I'm not supposed to? So like, I, I, do I need to ask the Holy Spirit that? I, I, I don't know. It's not a big mystery half the time, you know, most of the time, what, what the Spirit wants. So, walk by the Spirit as much as possible. Every action, every word, every thought, stepping in the direction where the Spirit wants you to go. Asking, what is His will? Constant, hour-by-hour hour alertness to the fact that He's right here. He's right by you. He's, his presence is right there. And I, w- I want to have this responsiveness to His guidance. This He's by you or is he in you? I, 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 I don't know anymore. I don't know anything anymore. Instant responsiveness to his guidance. That's walking by the Spirit. And Paul promises us, if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You're going to have victory. You're going to have tremendous... And right, and based off your interpretation, if I do that, I can be sinless. But I can't. But I know someone who did quote-unquote, walk in the Spirit, and that would be Jesus Christ. So in him, I am 
I no longer fulfill the desires of the flesh and my position, but in my practice and my flesh, I serve the law of sin. See the end of Romans 7, where Paul gives this weird dichotomy, right? In my mind, I serve the law of God, but in my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Why would he say that? Victory if you do that. Now, for me, that requires a lot of reminders. I mean, anything requires a lot of reminders for me, but especially that. Um, uh, so, so sometimes I'll, I'll actually write something on my hand from my morning devotions that I want to think about all day long, a bunch of times all through the day. Uh, sometimes I'm having alarms going off. I'll tell my phone, remind me, you know. I'll sometimes put it on Facebook so that if somebody comments on it or likes it, then I get an alert. And every time I get one of those alerts, I'm like, oh, that's right. I was, you know, and I, and I, 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 that, I use that to remind me. Post-it notes, uh, um, you know, um, we're driving here. and This is Christianized self-help. That's all this is. This is just self-help program. That's all it is. You can just remove the Jesus talk and the scripture, and this is a self-help program that you can find anywhere in the secular world. That's all this is. It's a Christian, and, and it's self-help. This is not God help, because to get God's help, he's just given me 475,000 things I have to do so that I can get grace, because he's already said that I get grace by what I do. And so now he's destroyed grace. This is a self-help program. This, that's been spiritualized by throwing some scripture on top of it, but it's nothing more than humanistic self-help. He, it, this is, this, God doesn't even exist in this system, and I don't care what he says. It, 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 God is not in this. This is purely humanistic, or basically atheistic self-help. I couldn't see this phenomenon. I'm driving Tracy's car. I'm like, why? I can't, I can't see this. What's this card? She's like, oh, that's my Bible verse. <laughs> Got it in front of this phenomenon. Um, and uh, uh, oh, the tachometer. Oh, that's right. I couldn't see the the beams were on. And it says, and she said, "You got your beams on." It's like I can't even see the blue light. Okay, so anyway, um, uh, all kinds of different strategies for reminding yourself. Um, if I don't do those things, I'll go hours at a time without thinking about it at all. So I need constant reminders. All right. Any questions? Despite the fear of becoming another sermon illustration, uh, <laughs> the, the issue of prayer, I just want to ask something about that. Because um, I know that in the past, when, I, when I'm just entrenched in some sin, um, I get up in the mornings and I, I was begging God for victory that day. And it wouldn't come, despite, despite that earnest prayers. Oh, wait. You were begging God for victory over sin, and it wouldn't come. I, 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 and this is not in any way sarcasm. This is any way not being disrespectful. But I want every Christian to pray right now that you will stop sinning. And I guarantee you, you will keep sinning. God will not, it's clearly not a part of his sovereign plan to give anyone complete victory over sin. So you're going to keep sinning. You can plead and beg, don't let me sin. Don't let me sin. You are going to sin. And I know when I say that, Christians are like, it's 2,000 years of church history. Where's the perfect person? Every Christian could just get saved and say, Lord, please don't let me sin anymore. Please don't let me sin anymore. And 
dun, dun, da, da, sin would be gone. But dun, 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 da, you go, you wake up, Lord, don't let me sin today. And you sin, 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 and you sin. So victory over sin has to be about an imputed righteousness. It can't be about a practical because obviously whatever victory you think you've achieved, there were plenty of other sins that went right along <laughs> that happened that same day. Oh, I know that. I, I know. I know now that I've, I've just ticked off the whole world, but it's just true. Plead with God. Don't let me sin. Don't let me sin. Don't let me sin. Don't let me sin. You're going to sin. It's just a fact of life. You will sin from the moment of conversion to the moment of glorification and and thought word and deed by what you do, by what you leave undone internally and externally in some way, shape or form. Despite that desire an hour later, there I was again. And so if it's, so I'm not quite sure what to say if I'm mentoring somebody or helping somebody out. And I'm telling them, well, one of the things, the means of grace that you need to do is prayer. They throw up their hands and say, boy, beg and pray to God every day that nothing changes. Okay. So how do you sell it? Well, what I would say, and, and first of all, for all of those of you who thought that sermon illustration was about you, you can see that there was at least one other person that thinks it was about him. All right, but anyway, um, the... the uh, the way that I would, what I would say to someone like that is, that would be a problem. What you just described to me would be a problem if prayer were the only thing required for victory. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Say, hey, man, here's the problem. Prayer, you remember, if you want, great. Remember, he's already clearly articulated his program. Grace is. It's there locked away. And what do you got to do? You got to pray. 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 Wait, but there's more. You got to read. You got to read. You got to read. You got to read. But wait, there's more. You've got to memorize, 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 memorize. But wait, there's more. You've got to understand, understand, understand. But wait, there's more. You have to obey, obey. Now, this is bizarre. If I have to obey to get the grace to give me strength to stop sinning, if I'm obeying, why am I still sinning? It, this one makes no sense. I don't even know why he added it there. It literally destroys the logical consistency of his, well, the whole thing is logically flawed, but okay, but I have to obey so that I can get the grace. Okay, but wait, 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 there's more. Uh, not only do I have to obey, now I have to go to church. Not only do I have to go to church, I've got to participate. Not only do I have to participate, I have to then use my spiritual gifts in order to get more grace. Now, if I do all of that, then I get the grace. This, well, wait, 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 there's more. Now I have to walk in the spirit. And the way I walk in the spirit is I've got to figure out what the spirit wants me to do as far as turning on a television or not turning on a television. Now, if I do all of that, I think maybe I can, oh, wait, I won't even, he didn't even say we would get complete victory. We would just get strength to help us in the battle. But that strength can be lost at any second. The strength of the Holy Spirit's right there. But if I deviate from the path, if I violate any of all these things I'm supposed to be doing, even a little bit, then I step outside the power zone. The power goes down. Boom. And as he said, you will fail every single time. 
So praying, see, that's not enough. That's not enough. That's not, it's not enough. So I can pray to God to keep me from sinning, but that's not enough because God requires me to do 500 other things so that I can earn the grace to help me sin less, but never be sinless. So even all of these other things never gets me to sinlessness, only sinlessness, supposedly, to some level. It's just, this is the bizarre world of Christianity, where you just listen to all of this stuff, and you're like, do we hear ourselves? This sounds like, this sounds like the most convoluted and broken self-help program in the history of self-help programs. Then you would have just disproved my whole thing right there, because... If prayer were the only thing required for victory and you prayed and you didn't have victory, well, then it doesn't work. But prayer is only one of the things. And so you can, you can do great in some of these areas but still be lacking in something else and, and, and still find yourself with failure. In fact, you can be doing great in every single area that I covered this whole, this whole evening. You can be doing great with Scripture, prayer, and fellowship be getting all that grace, have tons of strength and spiritual power, and, and, and yet still fail because there's a problem with fearing God. Or, so you can still do all of these things and you can still fail. So, and just please note, you do all of these things to get grace, but the grace is not sufficient to keep you from failing because now, guess what? You didn't fear God. <laughs> it's, this is like, man alive. And and obviously someone told me that he was not going to cover Matthew 14. And I said, don't say that. I told them, do not say that. Do not say that because I'm going to believe it. Will. And they said it. And I, I, I don't, I, I, at this point, I don't even know. I, maybe they're going to just mention it. And we may not finish this sermon because at this point, this thing has, this thing has so exploded that I don't even want to go listen to the rest of this, but we're go, We'll go a few more minutes with finding satisfaction in God in a particular area for a particular appetite. So that's why this isn't the only session. Um, But if you do good in all those other areas, but you don't have the prayer piece, you'll probably still struggle. So so we're just going to cover numerous different things. We put them all together, and then we're going to, that's where we'll start to get lots of traction. When you put together the 975,000 things you're supposed to do, you know, I mean, maybe he should just include buy a whip, whip yourself, smash yourself in the head with a hammer, freeze yourself to death, drown yourself. Maybe he should just, just throw in the most radical things here because at this point, it's like you're just, ne- you're never, this is, a, this is a guaranteed system to total, utter depression, discouragement, and giving up. That's what this is going to lead. There is no, there is no hope in this. The grace he offers here is grace you earn. There is, this is literally the antithesis to biblical Christianity. With getting victory. Okay. Because of the militant background and some puritanical upbringing and stuff, asking that question, would the Holy Spirit want me to do this? Sometimes it's pretty hard for me to decide, is it my upbringing they're saying no because if I go with that there's not hardly anything I would do except <laughs> you know what I mean I mean it's I would be there would be no ball there would be no TV there would be you know there would be nothing except scripture prayer and 
Right, right. So if you've had that kind of upbringing and you ask, what does the Holy Spirit want me to do? Then you, you, you just have to ha- be on your knees in front of the altar. at. Okay, so now we're going to get into, well, wait a minute. If I ask the Holy Spirit based off my upbringing, I'm not going to do anything. And now he's like, well, 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 wait, wait. What you have to do now is you've got to ask the Holy Spirit, but you've got to be in prayer because you've got to be listening. So now, see, now these people, even these people are listening going, wait a minute. I've prayed and nothing happened. Wait a minute. If I was to ask the Holy Spirit what I'm supposed to do, I'm not going to do anything. I mean, well, I mean, think about it. I'm asking God, God, what would you want me to do right now? You would think he would say, pray pray, read. I mean, like, but, but, but he's like, no, no, no. I mean, God's going to let you do other things as well, because sometimes he wants you to watch the game or sometimes he wants you to watch watch wrestling on Monday nights and Tuesday nights and Friday nights. Right. And then anytime there's a pay-per-view, right. I mean, of course, oh wait, he definitely wants me to listen to music on Thursday night when I'll, oh no, no, no. The Holy Spirit wouldn't say that. It's just crazy trying to figure this out. But someone just said, and this is a, a, a beautiful point. If you were sitting here right now, desperate, to escape this supposed slave, the sin that has enslaved you, wouldn't you start crying right about now? Oh, I would, I would have already smashed my computer, my iPad, renounced Christianity, and just said, I'm, I'm headed to the liquor store. I would have just said, forget this nonsense. This is, this is a self-help program. I'd like, I want my money back right now because this is insanity. But now let's figure out how I'm supposed to actually hear what the Holy Spirit's supposed to be doing. Because guess what? I'm going to have to do more work because the Holy Spirit can never seem to just say what he means so that we can understand it. We've got to start doing, I don't know, figuring it out. Church all day, every day. Um, and obviously that's not what God wants. You, you, would, uh, you would be violating some biblical principles if he did that. And so I think the solution to that is you, you need to come up with a good theology of recreation uh, and rest and all the other things that because if I'm going to watch TV I, I need to do it for the glory of God if I'm going to play golf I need to do it for the glory of God I need- <laughs> okay so when I watch TV I got to do it for the glory of God when I play golf I do it for the glory of God I love how Christians love to do that as long as I supposedly doing this recreation for the glory of God then it, it all works oh man this Oh, man. So now the way I hear the Holy Spirit is I've got to get a good theology of recreation. Then I can hear the Holy Spirit. I can't hear the Holy Spirit until I do a theological course on recreation. You do everything I do for the sake of his glory. And if I can't figure out how hunting fits into glorifying God, then I can't go hunting. Uh, Thankfully, I have figured that out, and so I love hunting. Uh, But... Yeah, <laughs> isn't it funny that everything we want to do, we find a way to do it for God's glory. Isn't that <laughs> funny? Yeah. But uh, I, um, Ecclesiastes is a helpful book for that, you know. But I think to, to remind yourself when you... Ecclesiastes is a helpful book. of Ecclesiastes is a journal of a king trying to figure out what's the meaning of life. I'll try this. 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 And nothing. It's all meaningless, 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 meaningless. I guess because he says at the end of the book, he says the purpose of your life is to glorify God. I, maybe that's what he means there. Okay, maybe. All right. I, it's just, all right, whatever. You have, when you say, well, does the Holy Spirit want me to do this? No, he only wants me to pray and do nothing else. Then, Then go back to that theology of recreation um, and um, think through, why does God want us to rest? Why why does God want us to take delight in him through 
things in the creation. And how is that done? And, and just rehearse that in your mind so that you can, with a clear conscience, do those things and say, yeah, I think right now the Holy Spirit wants me to take a break and have some fun and, you know, whatever. So. See how subjective all of that is? I think the Holy Spirit right now wants me to have some fun. Guys, I know it's Bible study night, but the Holy Spirit's telling me that I need to go have some fun because there's a wrestling show in town, right? Oh, I, hey, guys, I, 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 nope, nope. The Holy Spirit's telling me it's fun night. Okay, I, I, it's just so like, it's so subjective. It's so just nonsensical. It, it is so just, I don't even get it. This is the only session I was going to do on the Scripture Prayer Fellowship and getting power from God. We're already done with that. I, I want to, the heart of this class once is, is about the appetites because that's where we find a lot of that stuff where um, most people who are addicted, they think that the idol in their heart, I'll just give you a little preview for next time. They think the idol in their heart is the thing they're addicted to. Like I'll see, you know, we'll, we train counselors and they'll we'll, we'll ask on the forum, what, is, what idols does this counselee have? And they'll say, alcohol. You know, he's getting drunk three times a week. His idol is alcohol. No, his idol's not alcohol. His idol is whatever he's trying to get from the alcohol. And it might be a totally different idol for two different drunk guys. One guy, his idol is um, uh, uh, relief from his suffering. He's getting drunk because he wants to escape. And so he, the idol in his heart is relief. The other guy's getting drunk because he likes to party, you know. And the idol in his heart is fun. I don't think this man believes in total depravity. I really don't believe, I, I don't think he believes in total depravity. I, I think this is like so far Pelagian, it's not even like Pelagius would probably be like, whoa, dude, what are you doing? Okay, I, I'm obviously Pelagius wouldn't have said, whoa, dude, but you get the idea. And the other guy is getting drunk because he, he's got pressure from his friends. And the idol in his heart is fear of man. He wants to be accepted by the crowd. You know, and he's, he's totally different idols. And he address them totally different ways. And so we're going to do a, you know, some work on that in this class. How to discover what is the idol in your heart. It's not food. It's not, it's not um, sex. It's not uh, shopping. It's, it's what you're trying to get from those things. You know, so... Okay. Um, you answered this yes or no. You really believe that you can have freedom from uh, enslaving sin, total freedom? Well, okay. Do I really believe you can have total freedom from enslaving sin? I would say you can have um, freedom, to, the same kind of freedom that you have from as from other sins in your life. So, so um, t- I'm reluctant to say total freedom because I don't want I don't want to imply that you can be perfect in any area in this. <laughs> goodness after all of this oh i don't want to say you could be perfect so you really so you're free you can get power but all of this power that you work to get still isn't good enough to get you to perfection oh my goodness gracious christianity man you got power you can do it well i mean i mean come on we 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 don't want to say total freedom you can't have total freedom This side of heaven, but I do think that you can get to the point where um, uh, you used to have a, a, a serious addiction, and now it's not even a struggle. It's not even a struggle. Now, that's not guaranteed. 
Sometimes God will let you struggle with the same thing all the way through your life, and it'll be a battle. Um, but Oh, now this gets into some serious theological matters. All right, so here's the sovereign God, and he decides you're going to struggle with that sin your entire life. Why would God let you struggle with that sin? I mean, that's always the question every Christian should have. That every This is the, 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 the theological element of sin that Christians never seem to want to talk about. God is all-powerful, all-powerful, and yet he saves us, but he does not eradicate the old nature, and we continue to sin. He does not give us the power to stop sinning. Why not? Even though we claim he gives us the power, we all have to finally break down and say, well, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. We're still going to sin. We're still going to sin. We're still going to sin. Why does God want us to still sin? And if God hasn't taken it from us and we're still going to sin, why then do we act the way we do when someone sins? Whose fault is it? Theirs or God's? God didn't take away the sinful nature. Nobody wants to address the the philosophical. There's some psychological things going on here because you're going to have some hard time trying to process this. And and it it is hard to, when you get to your Christian life, you're like, wait a minute, God, wait a minute, God. I, I, I don't want to commit this sin, but it doesn't go away. He doesn't do anything to stop it. Now, I understand taking responsibility, but... I, 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 I am not in the game of protecting God because God can protect himself. But God clearly doesn't, he obviously, sin somehow is a part of his plan. There's just no way to get around it. So how do we understand that in light of, our, of Christians falling into sin? It's, that's not automatically true. There are some times when uh, you can get to the point where it's not a struggle at all. So, and and even and and even if it's the if it's the kind. Of- oh wow! Someone okay. All right, now my mind is blown. All right, this this okay. I'm gonna grab my iPad. This is worth a million dollars right here. Okay, so I'm gonna do a GoFundMe page to send this person a million dollars because this is this is pure gold. All right, here we go. How maddening is it that now, at this point of the sermon, after all of this, you don't even know if you're doing one of those 600 steps good enough or that God simply wanted you to keep struggling? I, I, I didn't even catch that. That is, uh, that's literally what this has turned into. Do these 600 steps. Now, maybe the reason you're not victory is because you're not doing the 600 steps right. But guess what? You may even do all of the 600 steps right, but God may just choose to let you keep struggling. <laughs> that, is, that is insanity. Anything where you have, is still a struggle throughout your life, you can get to the point where you have consistent victory. You have um, mostly victory in that area. So you can, you can get to a point where, you, now please know, he worded it very carefully, that you can have consistent victory in that area. That meaning, you may still be committing all kinds of other sins, but you may not have consistent victory because God may not want you to have consistent victory or because you didn't do the 600 steps right. 
Okay, well, uh, let me give you some exercises for this week. Ready for the stuff that will really do the work? Uh, First of all, with regard to prayer, um, and these are listed just in bullet points on your thing, but you might want to jot some notes. Prayer, uh, pray for victory through the day. That kind of prayer uh, that Bill was just talking about, um, that alone won't do it, but you got to have that. So beseech God and beg. Pray for victory, but that's not sufficient. <laughs> that's not sufficient. Beseech God every day for victory, but that may not be enough because God's up there like, okay, come on, man. Come on. Pray a little harder. Pray. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. Everyone stop. No one help him. He didn't do step number three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Dude, do all the steps and then I possibly will help you. And please note, clearly Matthew 14 is not happening. Him to grant you victory and freedom and do that every single time you pray all through the day. Just keep, just hammer on his door. Ask God to supply you with everything you need to gain victory in this process. Um, he wants you to be like the persistent widow. He wants you to be like that important neighbor who came in the middle of the night, bang, 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 banging on the door until the guy finally gets out of bed. God says that's what he wants. Isaiah 62, 7 says, give him no rest until he answers. Try and ask God to grant you victory over the sin at least a couple of times per hour all the way through the day. All right, so on top of everything else, now we've got more work to do. We've got to do a couple of times every hour asking God for victory, even though we know that's not sufficient enough to get the victory. <laughs> hey, you keep asking, you keep asking, but it's, it's not, it doesn't even matter because you got to do all these other things. I mean, beseech him. Yeah. So when you, when, you, when you pray, do you pray that... God will deliver you from that sin, that God will give you the wisdom to deal with the sin. What exactly are you? Well, you can pray for a variety of things. You can pray, um, God, give me everything I need to have victory. If it has to be struggle and painful, you know, toil, but I have victory, fine. If it's uh, temptation just disappears and it's easy for me now, even better. But why would we pray about one sin? How about, Lord, give me victory over all sin so that I never sin ever again? I mean, what, 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 it makes no sense to me saying, hey, this one sin, help me with this one sin. Now I've got these 900 others, but just help me with this one. And we get that one and we're like, look what God did. I got victory over one. You committed 900 other sins the same day. Like, I, I don't, I, I, I don't understand. I, oh, man. The whole theology behind sin and, and how it works in the Christian life, it's such a convoluted mess. However you want to do it, Lord, I want to honor you with my life. I want to have holiness. I want to have purity. I want to have righteousness. I want to have self-control. I want you to be pleased with my life. Whatever it takes to get me there, Lord, do it. That's what I want. And, uh, and so, I mean, that's the way I pray. So, um, and, and, you know, it's not going to be a huge, long, intensive, uh, theologically deep prayer if you're doing it a couple times every hour through the day because you've got to do your job, right? You've got you to live your life, and so it's going to be a, these one-sentence things. But, but a couple times per hour, all through the day, you know, if you could pray 30, 40, 50 times in a day, 
asking God, asking God, asking God. It's, uh, um, it's, you need to have that kind of earnest, earnest prayer. Okay? So, so do that this week. Pray for victory. Um, number two, write down the next step for your prayer life. What's the next step? Figure it out. Uh, pen and paper, calendar. How are you going to improve your daily time alone with God? Write out the plan. Bring that back. Remember, you're doing all of this in order to get grace. (laughs) So you're doing all of this stuff in order to get grace. That even though you get it all, God still may decide that you're still going to struggle. And if you deviate in any way, shape, or form, then you're no longer in the power zone. You lose the power. Because grace is what you earn by what you do, according to this very Catholic-sounding sermon. With you next Monday to the class, your plan for what your next step is in your prayer life, okay? So figure out your next step. Write it down. Uh, Number three, with regard to Scripture, read Galatians 5, 16 to 26, just that last half of Galatians 5. Read it slowly and carefully, at least once a day. Uh, someone just made another very important statement. This is how the church creates mental illness in a person. This does. This would create total mental breakdown. This would cre- this would drive me straight to atheism, to a atheistic counselor, and they would tell me, you're, "I mean, this is spiritual insanity. You're you're just you're being put on." basically a treadmill and saying, run, 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 whip, whip, do more, do more, do more, stop sinning, do more, do more. And you are set up for utter, complete obliteration of everything. And they never once offer any hope that our only hope is in the imputed righteousness of Christ. There is no grace in any of this. And not only there's no grace, there's no God in any of this. This is straight up humanism, posing as Christianity and it's a self-help, it's a self-help program. It's not even a God-help program. Read through that at least once a day. Um, so when we meet again next time, you'll have read through it at least six times. Um, I won't ask you next time how many times you read it, but I might ask you how many days you read it. So don't wait till Sunday night. Read it six times in a row. Uh, <laughs> each day. Um, Read through Galatians 5, 16, 26, slowly, carefully, prayerfully, thoughtfully. Number four, memorize Galatians 5, 16, word for word. Please note, look at all these things you've got to do. Look at all these things you've got to, and, and you can't just read the text six times. You've got, this is just, this, I, I, this is just crazy. Okay. Sign up for scripturetyper.com if you need to. Um, Put it on your dashboard, but put it in front of the tack, not the speedometer. Whatever you do, but Galatians 5.16. And be able to quote that next week at the class, okay? Galatians 5.16. Number five. I've got a little article, a very short article. uh, It's like a page and a half on your notes there, in your notes. It's called, You Can Say No to Porn. I realize not everybody's struggling with porn, so it, it's, it's all right. This is an article by John Paper that, that the principles in this article apply across the board to any enslaving sin. It doesn't have to be pornography. So just uh, take You can say no to sin if you do 965,000 things right, 
but any deviation, however, God may say, sorry, you're still going to struggle because I don't want you to stop struggling. The word porn out, insert the word, whatever it is you struggle with, whatever your enslaving sin is, and it'll work. Okay, so. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remove the word porn, and I'm just going to put the word sin. How to say no to sin. All sin. Right? Because I don't, I'm not going to play your little game. No, 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 no. No, God only wants to give you victory over one sin. What difference does it make if I get victory over one sin if I'm committing 342 others? Hey, I've got victory over not murdering anyone, but I've committed 900 other sins. I mean, I, I, I guess, I mean, I'm trying to be fair. What I guess I want you to see is that we get this weird idea that we've accomplished some big thing if we stop one sin and not realize whether we're in perpetual sin. That's why our only hope is an imputed righteousness, not this works-based, law-based, self-help nonsense. Read that article. That's the transcript of about a 15-minute video um, that by John Piper. If you want to just watch the video, that's the, the link is on the... John Piper, who believes in a final justification, a second justification. The first one is by grace. The second one is by work. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like some good theological reading. Yeah, on the paper there, you can look it up. Um, you can watch it. You can read it. But... but uh, uh, what I'd like you to do is underline four statements in that article that stand out to you, okay? Either something that you find helpful or something you have. You're going to be busy doing all this stuff to, to, to supposedly get victory every time. Remember, deviation, you lose the power. The power is only in a limited area, and you've got to stay right in that area. Deviate just a little bit, as he said. If you deviate too far from the path, you will fail every single time. So you got to stay on the path and you got to stay on the path by doing, 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 because that's how you get grace, because you get grace by what you do, not by what God gives. Question about or, or whatever, four statements, not three statements, not five statements, four statements, okay? Exactly four statements. Bring that next time with your underlined four things, Okay. All right. Um. And I want to make this very clear. I love giving people assignments and things to do. All right. So the difference is I don't say do these things and you will stop sinning. Do these things and you'll get victory. I say do these things so that we can do this Bible study and learn. I don't say do these things so that you can stop sinning because it doesn't work that way. Fellowship. Number six. Come to church and prayer group, okay? Oh, my goodness. And now you got to be praying like a, so many times every hour. You got to be doing this. You got to make sure you come to church. You got to go to prayer group. Oh, boy. You're going to need that. You're going to need people praying for you. You're going to need to be praying for others. You're going to need that grace flowing into your life. Make sure you're here Sunday uh, in the sermon and in prayer group, okay? Number seven, this is the doing one. Write down each time you change your behavior so, so as a result of this particular thing. So, so we've got the two exercises for prayer. We've got, we got one for Bible reading, one for memorization, one for understanding. The, that's the Piper article. And then now this doing exercise. If this stuff that we're talking about doesn't change your behavior, then we're getting nowhere, right? 
We're getting nowhere. So, so it's got to change your behavior. So, um, so for putting it into practice, the, the exercise, the godliness training exercise for this week is if, you, if you're striving to walk by the Spirit moment by moment, hour by hour, all through the day, what does the Spirit want me to do? Does He want me to think this, do this, whatever? There will be times. If you do that, there will be times when you normally would have done one thing and you decide to do something different. You normally would have thought about one thing and you said, uh, I guess I better not think about it. I'll think about something else. And, 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 and for no other reason than you were reminded of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's why you're doing it different. I'm just going to stop. It's like down to four minutes. It's just do this, do this, do this. And now you got to keep track of whenever your behavior changes. And the reason your behavior changes is because you talk to the Holy Spirit. Supposedly the Holy Spirit talked to you to tell you what to do, but you hope it was the Holy Spirit and it wasn't just you. Whatever. All right. Um, obviously, this had nothing to do with Matthew 14. So this was an absolute epic failure. <laughs> there you go. I, you win some, you lose some. I don't know what this did bring to light. And, I'm, and I am serious here. Just the convoluted world of the church and its theology of sin and how we are supposed to deal with it, struggle with it, overcome it supposedly, and fall in it. This is the convoluted world of sin in the church. And if you've been in Christianity for any length of time, you've come in encounter with some of this craziness. And if you think about it, how convoluted and illogical it all is. It is sad. There's, there's, was, in this system, you earn grace by what you do. There was never any assurance or rest in the imputed righteousness of Christ, and that therefore in Christ there is now no condemnation, and that who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. This was nothing about, the, he ignored total depravity, ignored imputed righteousness, I don't even know what to call that, but that's the way we end on this Wednesday, December the 28th, 2022. Wow. It was epic. It was epic. So I guess we'll go out with the epic music, but it was an epic failure in so many ways. If you have any questions or thoughts, please let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. I'm sorry that we didn't get to Matthew 14. I still don't know why this is listed as the text was Matthew 14 and Mark 6. I have no idea, but uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs>